Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. We are back once again. This is the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am uh, your Trek Lord of West Michigan, Fleet Captain Charlie Carden, coming at you on this gray and horrific uh, spring snowy Monday here in Grand Rapids. Blurg. Uh, So bad. But it's always made lighter when you got a killer podcasting partner like I do. That would be Katie Q. Katie, how are you tonight? I am doing very well. Excited to talk about DS9. We are starting a new series, so this is going to yeah, be fun. Yeah, this is DS9 is very special to me because it's the first show that I ever watched, stem to stern, never missed it. Uh, because I, I tuned in and out of TNG. I watched it. I was in middle school when it came on. Watched it, but it didn't stick. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, when DS9 came on when it was my junior year in high school, and it was aired on the station that my mom worked for, which was uh, WXMI 517 here in Grand Rapids. Uh, so I, you know, was really tuned into it for that reason as well. So I love DS9, but we'll get to that soon soon enough. So, uh, but yeah, first, first, before we do that, of course, we do like to talk about new stuff. Yes, we have two episodes of Star Trek Picard. We're into the, the back end of the season now uh, with uh, episodes six and seven. So without further ado, Katie, I will let you do the honors talking about episode number six. All right. So episode six was two of one with help of Tannen, Picard, and the or Picard and the crew infiltrate the gala on the eve of a joint space mission to protect one of the astronauts they believe to integral to the restoration of the timeline, Rene Picard. Cora makes a startling discovery about her father's work. Ooh, man. Ooh. And, and are these ever plot threads that we get really teased with and then they get, we, oh. they get, they get dumped for season for episode seven? Because I was like, what? Oh, man. Thank you. I felt that exact same way. I just finished up seven and I was like, what is going on? Because it just seems like they just are like plot thread, plot thread, plot thread. And then. Yep. They got, you know, I'm not much of a golfer, but I I, I swung the clubs with my dad when I was growing up. So we had that, we had that shot teed up. The club was back and then we just dropped it and did some other stuff because yeah. And we'll talk about episode seven in a minute, but it was in a lot of ways, kind of your typical diversionary episode where it's like, well, we want to keep stretching the plot out. So blurp, Um, but interesting in its own right. But I, I thought this episode was 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 pretty exciting. Uh, we started with a, mm-hmm. a book. We started with a bookend. Uh, Picard laying on the ground, you know, bleeding, suffering, and then they're like, "Oh God, what what, happened? what did this old bastard do now? Did he fall down some stairs? Is he like <laughs> is he like a twenty first century old person now?" Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it, the episode comes on. Picard is in bad shape. It jumps back to about a half hour earlier, and they're they're teeing up to get into this gala, which is what uh, they were getting ready to do, obviously at the end of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Agnes is in the control room and we see it's, it, it, and it's way too funny with the guest star that we have in the next episode. We see that essentially Agnes and the Borg queen have turned into Baltar in Caprica six from Battlestar Galactica. Cause she's in her head. The Borg queen is in her head, kind of calling the shots and saying, 
do this. He's a little devil on her shoulder, um, you know, helping her execute stuff. And as the episode goes on, you know, helping her be a, a little vampy in that sexy red dress and, make, <laughs> you know, having the, having the, you know, playing a little tonsil hockey with Rios and, uh, and singing, singing and singing. And, and I, I want to do that. Yeah. I did, <laughs> didn't, didn't know if that is really Alison Pill's real voice, but I, first of all, I've always loved that. I've always loved the shadows of the night. Great song by oh, Pat yes. Bentar, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I, it feels like that was her own voice. And yeah, I love it. I love it when you get that little multi-talented spread of someone who you wouldn't, you know, know think in a million years uh, would have that kind of talent because they're so, you know, perhaps their acting style or their character they're playing is so buttoned up. But mm-hmm. um, but even, even during TNG, uh, Patrick Stewart would bust out. Uh, singing, um, maybe when he was not really being himself, you know, he yep. was playing a character or, you know, an insurrection when he did his little mambo dance, which was, you know, gracefully short, thank God, because I didn't really care for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I liked this uh, episode. Um, you know, Picard had a little moment with his ancestor at the end where he's kind of talking her off a ledge and giving her that, you know, extremely ancient, uh, ancient slash android wisdom um, that he kind of talks her along the way. And even at the end of it, you know, we get the little subplot that you have uh, the Sung ancestor, Adam Sung. Thank God, thank God in the corner of this page I'm looking at, it has popular pages. Adam Sung is one of them. I'm like, I know it starts with that. A or an, <laughs> yes. an A or an O noise. That's all the songs, all of them. Um, you know, Q shows up and is manipulating him saying, well, you know, if if Renee Picard lives, it means that your daughter is going to die. And, you know, so just, yep. oh, yeah. Um, but that's not the, you know, that's that's not hardly the threat of it because what do we find out about his daughter, air quotes, when, when we cut over to her? What, what do you mean with, like, Renee no, 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 the daughter, the, uh, the uh, Sung's daughter, Sung's oh, daughter, yeah, the air sorry. quotes. I, got, I air was qu- like, wait, yes, no, that she's actually just like some weird, like genetically engineered, mani- that he's been manufacturing them and basically trying to figure out, like, basically eugenics. Right. Or, like, or, or rediscover it, because if you remember yeah. in the in the Trek chronology, the eugenics wars happened in the 1990s, thankfully, somewhere in a corner of the world that we never heard anything. I mean, I never yes. heard about it when I was in high school. <laughs> I guess it was happening somewhere in Canada or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Sung, as you know, you and I have touched upon it. I know that, that Enterprise is, is kind of a Star Trek blind spot for you. You've either you've not seen it or you've seen it and you don't like it. I'm trying to I watched like, I think one episode, maybe two episodes, and I was just just like, oh, this is just boring and just really forced. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, give it two seasons. Uh, and That's then a it'll, lot of time I for know. me to give something. <laughs> no, I, I know. Yeah, if you watch that, and again, you know, when you and I finish talking about DS9, that's when, when Peter will come back and he and I will talk about Enterprises. He's a bigger fan. Um, yeah, but you know, have that. Absolutely. Uh, but as I, I kind of teased last week, um, there was another, oh, I think it was it was Auric Singh in the, the 2150s, which is when um, Enterprise takes place, who was an imprisoned geneticist because he was imprisoned because he tried to liberate uh, a series of embryos uh, that were left over from the eugenics wars. And so this is basically a, a, another Sung ancestor trying to kind of do it on his own, but not yeah. figuring it out. But... The it, it, what's crazy is that obviously the the avatar the face that he creates ends up being the avatar that data creates or or d- data's or I would say 
another Sung ancestor creates another face that looks like that 300 years later. So mm-hmm. something about that. It's like in the, the Sung, they got those two faces. Boop, boop, yes. boop. That's, all, that's all you got going. Well, and that's, it seems like that's just kind of a repeated trend with them. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, they're ancestors. So they look exactly like that person. Right. And I was like, exactly. I don't. I don't remember that being a thing. Like, I'm well, pretty sure my great great grandma did not like. We had similarities, but did not right. look exactly like me. My, uh, you know, it's just really great that they didn't throw, you know, Tom Hardy in a wig and make that Rene Picard. Oh my goodness! Tom, Tom Hardy was a cl- clone of Picard in the horrible Nemesis movie. Which <laughs> I, th- I think later this summer I have the double header of you, Peter, and I talking about that movie. Uh, it won't be the first time I podcasted about that film because I did that on someone else's podcast a couple of years ago. God, do I love to tear up that fucking film she's so bad oh <laughs> my god I, I would never tire of it it's it's the only real segment of star trek outside of the jj films that i just absolutely will rip to shreds um because otherwise i'm you know i'm a i'm a i'm an unconditional lover of star trek but anyway as we frequently do we're kind of off topic here but um yeah so uh adam sung says well i gotta take her out because q had said and you know he's gonna mm-hmm. save my daughter or whatever so q's blackmailing him well, you know, oops, Butterfingers, he runs into Picard instead. I mean, and, in all fairness, I wouldn't have expected, you know, a 90-year-old man to be that spry and be able to knock her out of the way. Right. But, you know, I mean, he's a, he's an android, but he's he's a he's a vanilla android. He doesn't really – but maybe he has some kind of reflexes or something or other. And I don't know. Maybe he's a little more android than we knew. Um <laughs> So well, anyhow. we figured we figured that out one at the end of the episode when they have to take him mm-hmm. back to the clinic and right. they go to uh, use the defibrillator on him and it shocks the entire uh, right exactly the entire system because I was like oh no that's not a good idea <laughs> right exactly and it's not like you know old Picard had an artificial heart and this this mm-hmm. one doesn't he's entirely artificial but you know he's it's one of those that oh they're androids it's like the it's like the side are you a Battlestar Galactica fan I keep talking about it and I don't yes know. yes I have seen okay it. gotcha so it's just like you know it's the skin jobs the the humanoid Cylons they're yeah. indistingu- they're indistinguishable so right you know the sung androids are, are clearly obviously the same so yeah to wrap things up they're all standing around in the in the clinic uh, of, you know, Rios's would be girlfriend. She's not, she's not there. I don't know if she wasn't there yet or she shows up in the next episode. No, um, she was but, there because she helped stabilize him, but she, oh, that's right. she was why, he was awake, why he wasn't awake. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And so, you know, Rafi says the, uh, the, you know, the cliche, I don't know how much worse things could get. And as it says right here in the recap, as in response to that, uh, Agnes now controlled by the Borg queen queen is wandering the streets of LA with interlapping voices in her head. It's like, Oh, this is going poorly, really poorly. And then, (laughs) and then I even, I saw, I saw the, you know, the 32nd trailer for next week's episode. And it looks like things kind of take a, take a leap forward from there. So, uh, (laughs) but, but without further ado, uh, we jump into, what we kindly refer to as the transitional filler episode. That's right. Oh. Episode, oh, episode eight is called Monsters. Uh, Talon, who is, of course, the, uh, the Romulan. Romulan, though she does. She has a little trick to give herself a Romulan ear. Maybe she's trying to, you know, throw Picard a bone or something. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but, of course, she's the uh, she's the Gary 7. She has this little device. That's a TOS reference, which I'm sure I'm sure we talked about last week, didn't we? Gary Seven, of, yeah. Yeah. or whatever it is. You can look it up. Uh, Talon Ventures Inside Picard's Subconscious, which is, I mean, not only it's a Star Trek trope, but it's its a sci-fi trope in general. We're going to go into oh, yes. Blah, it was blah, just, blah. I have this magical thing, and I can help them beat, like, 
get out of their subconscious because they're trapped there and we don't know why. Right. Exactly. So it's a very, it's a Dr. Who, Star Trek, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, they, they, they've done it it's all across. But anyway, uh, she goes into her subconscious to help wake him up uh, from a coma and taste the darkest secrets and deepest fears. Uh, Seven and Rafi go in search of Gerardi, whom they fear has succumbed to the monster inside. Ah, see what they did there. Uh, real, <laughs> real struggles to hide the truth of who he really is from Teresa, giving us a very nice, homage to Star Trek four. Did you catch it when the two of them were talking at the, uh, at the end? Yes. Are you from outer space? I'm from Chile. I only work in outer space. Ha ha. <laughs> oh, what a delicious pun. Oh my goodness. So yeah, this, um, uh, this, uh, episode, uh, again, gave us a, gave us a, gave us a, a, a mashup uniform, which I'm kind of fond of. So I immediately went on the uniform groups. People said, well, you know, it's just in his head, so it's not a real uniform. But I dug it because the new, if I can go off on a tangent and talk about Starfleet fashion for a moment. of course. Um, This is, you know, we got this season, we're a little bit more back to the waistcoat kind of look, which I, as a cosplayer, I like because, boy, a jumpsuit is uh, sometimes a little unforgiving, even with all your, even with all your spanks and everything holding it. I mean, you saw me up there on stage with Jerry O'Connell. I I was wearing stuff, but I wasn't wearing enough because I was still like, (laughs) so, um, but no, it's, it's a waistcoat look. Um, with uh, a kind of un, unquilted shoulders, the weight not not like the first contact uniform where it's it's the, the shoulder the gray shoulders are lined. These were unlined, but it was still the same first contact undershirt. So like color division, mm-hmm. it zipped right up to the neck. I really dig that style, um, but I'm afraid I'll never see because people are it's not real. But anyway, the, uh, Picard is uh, you know trapped in his mind, and he's talking to a Starfleet psychologist who is of course James Callis. Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and he's, you know, they're hashing out all the regular shit that you would expect anybody to talk about when they're in a, uh, a counseling appointment that they don't want to be in. Um, so you say, you know, Picard, you're so distant. Everybody calls you captain said your first name because you're not close to anybody. Blah, 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 blue, blue, blue. Um, and you're like, okay, well, this is pretty tropish. But Picard starts, you know, thinking back and flashing back to these Wonderful times with his mom, who we worshipped. But you know, he there was a flashback scene we saw either I think it was earlier this season where you know something was chasing them and was it was it his father? His father maybe his father was abusive or he was an alcoholic and he beat her or something. He just they didn't were very re- heavily inflecting that her father yeah. that his father was abusive. Yes, right, exactly. So, but again, you know, in, in the subconscious and as they drilled down and as he's fighting to to start to escape. Um, you learn a little bit more about the truth that obviously the psychologist that he's seeing is in fact his father uh, that, you know, at the age that, you know, Picard was when he's having these visions of his mother. So Picard is, you know, 10, let's say, uh, you know, and his, his mother and his father, who we both see in flashback during TNG, we see his mother as a very elderly woman in a super early episode where the crew is stuck in a part of space where whatever they fantasize becomes reality. So Picard fantasizes talking to his mother and having tea with her, blah, blah, blah. Then we see his father as, again, an old man. Interestingly enough, during a Q episode, Tapestry, which we talked about, mm-hmm. um, uh, where Picard is near death and you know his father shows up to him and tells him what a huge disappointment he is and just what everybody wants to hear from their dad when they're dying. <laughs> oh, you're such a disappointment because, uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so what what we really find out is is, is kind of surprising. So anyway, I've done all the talking. What um, what did you th- what, what what did you think about the big reveal? 
I first off was very confused because I thought that that was um, uh, who was it? Um, the gentleman who plays Doctor Bashir, and I think it's just oh, because I had been watching right. so much. So yeah, Alexander Siddig or Siddig El Fidio, which is yeah. And I was like, wait a wait a second, wait what? And then when you then it took me a second. And I realized I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's actually the guys. But I watched a good section of the episode, thinking that that was Bashir. So right. I was very confused. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> there was a lot. A lot of people throwing that out there because right. again, you know, Bashir uh, the, uh, Sid Sid as he's referred to. We'll just call him Sid mm-hmm. because again, his 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 given first name is a little bit more difficult to pronounce, at least for me. So he changed his stage name to Alexander Siddig after DS9 had been on for a while because I think he was running into a lot of people. Not really understand, not not really being able to pronounce it. Maybe it's frustrating to him, whatever it is. But yeah, there is a similarity to them. But but Sid is he's they both have beards, but Sid is completely gray. He was actually at Mission Chicago. He was one of the mm-hmm. celebs that I that I didn't get. Well, to meet. and I mean, I haven't seen him since DS Nine, right? So well, I mean, not having seen them and and them bringing back all of these old characters, I was like, wait a second, what is Doctor Bashir doing here? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that. that, that that would have been a great opportunity for a crossover, absolutely. Right. Well, and but, so, but 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 it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. No, Bashir, it wouldn't have. Bashir and that's why I was so confused. Yeah. That's why I was so confused. But right. I I don't know how I I don't like filler episodes. And I, well, I liked the theme of like right him coming in and realizing like oh no your enemy and then him acknowledging oh I guess I never really knew you so that's where I kind of failed is that I wasn't able to you know know my enemy as far as my father goes I didn't really love the inflections that maybe it wasn't that you like his dad wasn't abusive it was just his mom was crazy and so that was like this just seems like there's a lot of weird up in the air stuff when this entire season is becoming weird up in the air stuff well, it just, it, it, it just seems to be very non-connective. Because right. It, because, again, we're having this, you know, it's like Star Trek Four, which they're like, you know, we went back to Earth and we had to do a thing and then we had to break out. And they're like, uh, we went back to Earth and we have to do a thing and we're here for 10 episodes. Right. So we're, we're going to have to have some weird side shit happen. But so, they, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. I would have really preferred it just being weird side shit with more Jurati and the Queen. Like, continue well, yeah, on that struggle and build up that relationship. Well, or and, have more with Rafi and Seven because, like, they're sitting there making jokes about how they're going to be this wonderful couple that's going to make everything better and, you know, trip teenagers with old on their floaters with their canes when they're an old couple. But I'm like, I haven't seen any dynamic between you two, save for maybe a little bit in the last episode that's making me think you would ever get back together. Yeah, so exactly. I just feel like they're. Like and then now Picard's in the FBI. He got captured by the FBI. Like, right. So there's well, another plot thread that we have to go follow. <laughs> well, and, and, and I, I will, I, and, and I will at least point something out about that. I mean, he wakes up and he's good, and he goes back to CQ and everything, or uh, Guinan, young yeah. Guinan. Um, and the guy who comes in there says, hey, "I want to have a drink," blah blah blah. And I'm with the FBI. That actor, and I don't know if you've seen this flying around uh, social media. That very same actor. In, and I don't know his name off the top of my head, in Voyager, uh, played a temporal agent that actually Seven met uh, that sent her back on a mission to the past or into the present to fix something. Um, so he is, there was, there was an episode of oh, Voyager, maybe it was season six or seven, where there was, and it all spawned off of that episode where Voyager went back to the present in 1996 and Sarah <laughs> Ned Bagley Jr. Yep. And it was that Captain Braxton it was that guy, and then he oh, showed. Oh yes, he I, showed, I did not like him. 
he showed he showed up. Uh, he was recast as a different actor. His actor Bruce McGill, who you've seen in stuff. He's one of those character actors. And this dude, who is who is now playing the FBI agent, was his 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 XO is lieutenant. Um, so a lot of people are saying, well, it's the same actor. Could it be a coincidence? He was in, a t- you know, he, he had, a, you know, he was, a, he's a time cop. He's a time cop. And then he's showing up. So yeah, it could be a big fake out. So, I mean, we will find out obviously on Thursday, right. it's, along it's with a, the other yeah. 20 other loose plot threads yeah, that I need to put together. <laughs> you're right. So this is the, I, th- I think I just, you know, found a name for our episode. This is the, this is uh the season of loose plot threads. That's what I'm yes. going to call it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Loose plot. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not really digging it. I'm not really digging it, even though, you know, I love seeing James Callis and I love, yeah. you know, I always love to see a cool new uniform, but it's like, yeah, this was, you know, three quarters of it was, was filler uh, yeah. of him, you know, waking up and, you know, and again, I think it was very, I think the episode on its own, it was a very interesting episode, mm-hmm. but in culmination with everything else that they have going on, <laughs> right? I would have rather seen development with other characters. It is, I know the show, you know, slap me. The show is called Picard. I get it. We're talking about Picard, right? but it just, everybody else is just feeling so flat because like, you know, Jurati had amazing moments in the last episode. And right, right. They're just Agreed. not, I feel like they're just not fulfilling on a lot of this stuff. Right. Because they're just like, no, we've got to do all of these things and we've got to, you know, have all of these different like plot points and, you know, develop Picard even more. So. Right. Yeah. So they're looking to do Seven and Rafi plus Picard in figuring out his the struggles with the chick who may or may not be the, his Romulan girlfriend or whatever. And then you've got Q plus the Sung and the genetically engineered mm-hmm. and you've got Rios and the, the girl. And yeah, he just brought, he brought on the spaceship with her kid. So that's right. another plot thread now right, that we exactly. have to deal with. So many threads. Well, uh, <laughs> and we have three episodes. We have three episodes left. Yeah, and and we know that next season is going to clearly have a different storyline because it's going to be starring the TNG cast. They got you know they got the whole band back together. So right, exactly. Re- really looking really looking forward to that. Oh, that was a news story. Maybe we didn't talk about uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Uh, entire TNG cast uh, has. Wrapped filming on season three of Picard. There's your retroactive news bit. Yay! Boom! Yay! All right. So that's a wrap uh, on segment one. Moving on to beginning a new series, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yay! Well, excuse me. It's a new series for us because this is season two. (laughs) Uh, But season season two uh, was the first. A full season of the show because season one came in and came on in January of 93, ran from January to like June. This aired from, you know, September to 93 to May of 94. So it was your regular kind of 26 episode deal um, and kicked off with the first three parter. I think that mm-hmm. um, that I ever remember out of any Star Trek and is one of my absolute favorites. I thought it was really great. So I will kick it off with episode one. Uh, the Homecoming, uh, written by, uh, directed by Winrich Colby, who's a veteran director of the series. A uh, story by Jerry Taylor, who later the same year would actually go on to create Star Trek Voyager. And Iris Stephen Bear, who is the showrunner of the program. Uh, aired in September of 93, uh, Kira rescues a Bajoran resistance hero from a Cardassian labor camp. And an extremist group calls for all non-Bajorans to leave Bajor. Part one of three, and it's the season premiere. 
damn, did I remember loving this episode? I was, <laughs> I was like, you know, because again, you know, you're getting, you're getting out of, you know, the freshman slump. You're getting into what, what some might call. It. I, not a lot of people call season two like a sophomore slump, but season one of most shows that I can think of are kind of rough. Um, yeah. And and I know in the first season of DS9, they're really focused on stuff happening at the station and it's at the station and there's no, nobody's leaving the station. Every show is a bottle show and blah, 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 blah. Um, but nobody really likes that. You know what I mean? So this, th- this was in a good, we have our little, this is before they had the Defiant, which they didn't get until season three. So they have their little runabouts, which I like runabouts. I think they're pretty, yeah, I think like, they're, they're fun. <laughs> they're big old shuttlecrafts with the bathroom in the shower. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a big deal. Um, so it's like, it's like, it's glamping for, for Starfleet. Because you can go, you can go camping. Uh, you can go camping in a runabout. Um, so anyway, yeah. So Kira, Kira does learn of this resistance hero, Lee Nallis, who is uh, being held undercover uh, in a prison and still in a Cardassian labor camp. Uh, she convinces Cisco to go snag him. A brand comes along for you know because it wouldn't be a road trip if you were by yourself. Uh, <laughs> and they they rescue this dude. They bring him back. And it's it's pretty interesting because you bring this guy back and he you know he instantly reminds me of first of all he was the actor whose name I can't remember was and I looked this up not long after the um, the Steven Spielberg version of the film came out last fall this guy played Tony in West Side Story in the 1960s oh same dude I know right funny. So at any rate, yeah, this guy comes back and he's kind of this reluctant, like, well, you know, I'm not really that big of a deal and blah, blah, blah. He and he very he humble kind of, warrior. He was very, he was very humble. He, he, and he was kind of shy and, and self-effacing. It kind of reminded me of when I met Anson Mount. At, you know, Anson Mount, when he was sitting at the table to sign the autograph, he was just kind of sitting there with his hands crossed and like he was just uncomfortable being there. And, you know, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, th- this guy reveals that, you know, well, the big story about me is kind of a sham because I shot a Cardassian who was getting the app it was in his underwear and and then fortunately cisco says you shot him in his underwear how'd you get in there come on <laughs> oh that's a good one um but at the but at the end of it this um this government official who was played by frank langella another great character actor uh who's has a hate on for kara uh kira uh yanks her job and gives it to this dude and then that's the end of the episode um Great way to start the season. Hey, right, one of our regulars, boop, you know, they give you a thought they're going to get rid of her. So um, what'd you think? So did, did you watch DS9? Is this your first first or second run through watching DS9? This is my second run through. Um, I watched it my first time through, I think probably, well, it was probably like three years ago um, with my dad when he was staying with us. Um, so it was just something fun that we could put on in the background and kind of like hang out. And I definitely remember it um, immediately kind of hitting home because I really love Kira. I love Dax. There was just a really great kind of um, wider birth of characters. Um, and I remember when we got to season two, I really appreciated how Cisco felt like he was coming into his own. Yeah. Because it just seemed like they didn't know what to do with him in the first season because he'd have all these really good lines and his voice had really great inflection, but his face would be completely deadpan. And it just, I'm like, what, what are you do? What direction are they giving you? Just be like, right. can I see something? Can I have right. some sort of emotion there? And it, it seemed like in season two, you're starting to get a little bit more emotive. And it seemed like they're finally starting to figure out what they want to do with his character. Um, and so that's really great. And of course, Odo is a sarcastic asshole as always. Love him for that. It's great. Um, and I really like kicking it off with the three-parter. It's one of my favorite things about DS9 is that there is this kind of continual thematic story. I mean, when you're looking at the fact that we started out 
you know, TNG season two, episode one with, you know, um, uh, what's her face losing her kid. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and then everybody just being like, oh, okay. And now we're never going to talk about okay. it again. Right. <laughs> well, what's worse about that story in particular is that that was a recycled uh, oh, plot yeah. from Star Trek phase two, which was, they turned into, um, Obviously, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, of course, just had a re-release. Um, but the characters of Riker and Troy were the characters of Decker and Ilea from that film. You know, yeah, the bald, and that's the bald, thing, like... The, the bald chick. So, you yeah. know, yeah, they couldn't... They, yeah, they were just like, well, you know, they were like... They were hard up for scripts. They were like, well, let's just take this one and we'll already cross some names out or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right, so, and that's the thing. is that that contrast was really, like... It's good to see them kind of following through and being like, yes, there are repercussions for actions and there are some follow through. I mean, like granted, not all the time, like there are several episodes, even in this set where like, um, Quark should definitely have been in jail. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's the one that's going to follow up uh, this three party. Yeah. He's the one that's like, how did Quark not get himself killed doing this? Yeah. But overall, I think like, I'm just going to kind of talk about it like in a, in a set as far as the three guys, because I can't really separate them out in my head and me neither. Barely. No, no, keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Keep going. Honestly, I, you know, looking at this, I love it how you tell us like who wrote it and who directed it and everything, because all of these three episodes were written by someone else. Right. And it's still a very cohesive story. They introduce they introduce some kind of like main like villain-esque or like anti-heroes because you right. have the con- the super conservative um extremist lady. Right. Yeah, Kai um, Wynn. Or Vedequin yeah. at this point. Or yeah. Vedequin, be- yeah. Yeah, she becomes um, Kai later on, right? Oh, was- I don't like her. Oh, she's, I know I'm not supposed to like her, but oh, she just every time. I know. Well, yeah. I mean, and she she just gets worse. That's she the, does. Yeah. You know, just just like Ducat, who we don't see in the, oh yes, we don't see him in this episode, but we do get him in a taste of one of the other ones in the set. But yes. he just gets more horrible as the series goes on. Yes, like, like a true villain really should when they they have dimensions. But um, yeah, just just just, and just real quickly, yeah. So episode uh, two is the circle. Uh, episode three is the siege, and what we follow is that. Um, we find out that the Frank Langella character is the guy who runs the circle. He's trying mm-hmm. to he's trying to get rid of um, the Federation out of the Bajoran sector um, by getting you know he's buying weapons through a third party. Um, but the supplier of the weapons is the Cardassians because the Cardassians want Starfleet to leave because then bum, they, just bum, come, bum. they they just come back and reconquer Bajor and it's 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 no big deal. Yeah. Um, which of course our people uncover. Uh, and what happens is when the circle says all non-Bajorans at the end of episode two, when they say, uh, you know, all non-Bajorans leave DS9 immediately or, you know, you'll be fired upon a group of, you know, a group of the Starfleet folks uh, tuck away and uh, they, they, you know, they, after Kira's kidnapped, she's rescued. She comes back with evidence of what I just said. Um, and then they've got to send her um, to the Bajoran capital so she can deliver this. And this is what's happening uh, throughout episodes uh, two and three. Um and uh, so, you know, episode two is, you know, and episode three is kind of this big diehard. Oh, no, that's mostly episode three is this big diehard mm-hmm. thing. You know, they're crawling through conduits and, you know, capturing, you know, nobody gets killed until the end because, you know, always at the end. Because, again, there's the big hero sacrifice with Lee Nallis throwing himself in front of – it's Stephen Weber from Wings. He's one of the bad Bajorans, which I, oh, yes. which I just <laughs> love. But, yeah, he's like – he does the classic, you know, when the jig is up and, the you know, and it's obvious that of the Bajoran people who try to take over the stations uh, that, um, you know, the dude from Wings is one of the bad guys. He tries to shoot Cisco, and Lee Nallis does the no. 
words mm-hmm. right there and takes a laser blast. And then he has some cool guy lying and he said, you know, he, he's dying. He's like, uh, Merry Christmas or something. I don't know. He says something. <laughs> I think he said something about how he uh, got he got out of it or something because the sister. Yeah, I, I'm, off, yeah I'm off, off the, hook. the hook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're off the hook. It yeah. was off the hook. <laughs> um, so I, I dug it. This also kind of gave us um, some fuel to what will become the series first romance, which is uh, Vedic Brile and Kira become mm-hmm. a couple. And, you know, in typical, that runs for about a, a season and, and strategically, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, but, but yeah, I love the three part. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's a tribute to a writing staff that you can have three people write three episodes that are interlinking and have it flow. Yeah. Um, helps the fact that Michael Piller, who wrote the third one, was a, the late Michael Piller. He died, I think, three years later of cancer. Was one of the series co-creators. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, absolutely slam dunk. Probably, in my opinion, the best the best standalone series premiere. I think because in a lot of series means you got oh it's a cliffhanger or it's some throwaway piece of junk like TNG season two. Where mm-hmm. this was this was pretty rock solid. So I would oh, yeah. I would put this up as as a great example of God. Someday, if they finally decide to um, to do HD transfers of DS Nine, I would love to watch this as a single, unbroken, like just stick them all together. Oh yeah, they'd um, be great. It, it'd be absolutely gorgeous. So anyway, moving on to episode four. This one's all you. Oh goody! <laughs> Invasive procedures, uh, directed by Les Lando. A story by John Webley. Teleplay by John Webley and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, it. Or it viewed, or excuse me, it aired on October seventeenth, ninety three, and it is a desperate trill tries to steal the Dax symbiote. Dun dun womp. This is just just all the audacity. That's what this is. Just the entitlement and the audacity. Oh my new new episode new episode title. Keep talking. Oh, just all the audacity. Yes, I was just so angry the entire time. I just wanted to slap this man as he's walking in, being like, "I deserve." A death. Right. So basically, this I know is the he, episode that he, he was should have gone to jail. He was such a millennial. Should have gone to jail. Hey, to excuse the, me. Oh, well, I'm just saying. I'm excuse just saying. Excuse me. It's very stereotypically millennial. Boomer am I wrong? Am I wrong? Boomer I, language. Bo- I, excuse me. I am a Gen Xer. Thank you. No, I know. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying you. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I meant. I meant that it's. I. I have experienced it more from the boomer generation than the millennial I, generation. I, Coming I, from customer service. Oh, you know what? That's a. That's a very good point. Yes, the 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 customer entitlement. He is the entitled customer. Yep. Yes. Now, now I get it. Now I get it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it comes a. Everybody is still kind of off the uh, off this the space dock or off DS nine. There is a plasma storm going on, so everybody's had to evacuate. They're on a skeleton crew. For some reason, Quark is there because he is getting himself into trouble. He has uh, messed with the airlocks, and so this other team comes in. They invade, and of course, Quark bites off more than he can chew because that's always how it works. Right, and part of their uh, part of this, uh, you know, pirate guys thing is that one of them is a troll who no. thinks that he has he studied and he worked really hard and he was denied a symbiote, so he should get a symbiote, and so his plan is to steal the Dax symbiote. And sure, I got you. That, that works. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, of course, we'll kill Jedzia, but he says that that's okay for her to die because he <laughs> will get okay. what he wants. Um, because oh, it should be because he was denied that. 
So, oh my God! Um, and it, it was, and it's uh, exceptional actor John Glover, who I thought was one of the best parts of that. I love the 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 WB Smallville, by the way, and he was Lionel Luther, Lex Luthor's dad. He was great, and he's great in this. I really, I like it. And that's the thing. Like, even though, like, because again, there were episodes in TNG where I was like, "This is just absurd. This is stupid." And I felt like it was just kind of insulting writing. This one, even though I absolutely hated this guy, and I just, again, all of the audacity, I still loved the episode. Right. <laughs> right. No, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Cisco just shines brightly as he's, you know, kind of doing some sabotage stuff and a little bit of like covert ops, like so people to turn ma- against each other. So manipulative. Well, that's yeah, that. That's that Starfleet command level training, which of course yeah. I have had in spades as a fleet captain. You're 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 an, you're an operator. You're smooth. You're Captain Kirk. Everybody's Captain Kirk. You can talk a computer to death five times in a row. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but the, no. This I thought everybody did great. We also had uh, Tim Russ, who was later Tuvok in Voyager, was the was the Klingon. Oh, that's where I recognized him from. Yeah, that huh? makes sense. Okay. That's one of, he has played a Vulcan, a Klingon, and two different humans in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, so he is, uh, uh, now that's his, at all compared to actor Von Armstrong, who has played every race of, of, of Starfleet alien and some humans, but we'll talk about that some other time. We'll talk about that when we get around to an episode that he's in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no I, I really dug it, and again, it was a good it was a good Star Trek-ish kind of story. Um, learned a lot about the Trill. Learned a lot about a little bit more about Cisco and the Dax Symbian, Curzon, and all this different stuff. And, and kind mm-hmm. of how Trill, kind of how the Trill species continues to function. The Trill, in general, are one of those species that they were introduced in TNG with the, this whole rule set that absolutely got thrown out the window when they re- figured they wanted to have a regular cast member. Uh, as a member of the species, because, you know, in, in that TNG episode where they were introduced, it was a trill was having a romance with Dr. Crusher, but he couldn't go through the transporter, which just doesn't work if you have a regular ongoing cast member. Plus, he was really uh, unhealthy because the, the the joining wasn't easy and stuff. So, like, all that shit went away when the show came along, which is fine, because all that stuff is not really interesting for storytelling. So right. <laughs> you know, that, that ends up working out. Uh, moving on, episode five is Cardassians, uh, directed by Cliff Bowl, again, a veteran. Uh, story by, now, these are two names I don't know, Gene Wallandy and John Wright. Don't know they ever wrote anything again, but we'll find out. Teleplayed by James Crocker. Uh, again, aired in October of 93. Uh, Garrick and Dr. Bashir investigate uh, abandoned Cardassian war orphans on Bajor. What? A great episode. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a slam dunk. Um, we're getting to see, uh, you know, the the burgeoning friendship between Garrick and Doctor Bashir, which is going to become a cornerstone of the series as things go along. Um, and you're really learning about uh, Garrick, and again, why is he exiled? Well, Garrick is the he's this master manipulator. He's you know, I think this delivered that famous meme where Bashir and and uh, Bashir and Garrick are talking at the end of the episode, and it's one of those. You know, believe the truth, believe the lies, especially the lies, especially the lies. I, mm-hmm. I wish I, I wish I could remember the line of dialogue, but this was great. We learned we learned a, a fair chunk about um, Cardassian society. They're 
phenomenally family driven. Uh, they, you know, mm-hmm. it, the line is spoken in this that you know at some uh, Kardashian homes, seven generations eat at the same dinner table, um, which is, you know, of course, not at all like our American society in a lot of ways, where we have family members we don't speak to, myself included, um, for very good reason. But uh, no, no, it's it's really interesting because again, uh, what it turns out is this: uh, the way the episode kicks off is there's this. There's this Bajoran uh, business person coming out of the station. He's got a young Cardassian boy with him, and Garrick approaches him, and the kid freaks out on Garrick. And uh, because of that, uh, they start to investigate and find out that obviously the kid is an adopted orphan. But through DNA tests, they found out that he's not an orphan. His dad is this huge Cardassian government official. Uh, and the, the whole plot thread is revealed that he was hidden away so that this uh, this official uh, wouldn't find him because they wanted to embarrass him because Gold Ducat, who then factors into the story. Um, and then you get to see Ducat and Garrick in the same room at the same time, learning about the history between the two of them later. You, you understand the grinding teeth and the laser eyeballs, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> they, they, you know, and, it's, and at the end, Rugal, who's the young boy, goes back with his... His father, Kotan Padar, the the government official. So, really heavy stuff. Yeah. I think, especially when you hold it up against the lens of TNG, which in their season two was like, there's a, there's a hole in space, and there's a thing in the hole in space, and then we have Irish space people. One of them seduces Riker. It's just like a lot of bullshit that happened mm-hmm. in season two of TNG. Where in this, they're like war orphans and and political intrigue and da da da. It just it's good stuff. It's good well, stuff. Would, would you go ahead. Yeah, I say, and it's also, it's one of those of kind of the trolley problem because you have um, Rugal who very clearly has expressed, no, I want to be with my adoptive parents. Right. I am happy there. I do not know who this dude is. Now there's the whole, like, there's underpinnings of like, you know, self-hatred and, you know, the problems that come when you're being, or when you're being raised as an adoptee, um, especially like I have heard, um, a lot of discussions from, you know, children who are raised by like marginal, um, marginalized from marginalized communities who are raised by like white parents. And then they come out of that being like, I, you know, my parents are very racist. And then that turns out to be a problem later. So I think there were a lot of little underpinnings that they didn't quite express or discuss as much, but there was still, Again, something that I really like about DS9 is them going in being like, there's no clean answer to this problem. Like, regardless of where this kid goes, there's going to be problems for them because he is a he is a child of war where this was just a bad scene for him. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of really reiterates that kind of theme that's going to be playing out throughout this entire series. True enough. Yeah, yeah, a, a definite uh, bright early spot. So I was, I was pretty impressed by that. Yes. And uh, also, Garrick is just, uh, he is <sighs> he is my data of DS9. I mean, anything Andrew Robinson, every time he comes on screen, I'm like, yes, just 100%. I just want Garrick antics all the time, no just matter give, what's happening. Give him a big pair of dentures so he can chew on that scenery. Oh, yes, exactly. He's so, <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. All right. Episode, episode six. Take us home. Yes. All right. Um, Melora, um, directed by Winrich Colby and stories by Evan Carlos Summers and teleplay by Evan Carlos Summers, Stephen Baum, Michael um, Filler and James Cocker. And it was in October of 93 as well. And Dr. Bashir ends up falling in love with a new officer when he develops a way for her to function in a high gravity environment. Meanwhile, Quark receives a death threat from one of his former associates. 
Dun dun! Not surprising. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> that everybody wants to kill Quark. Yeah, so, Quark. Still, only the only surprising thing about that was that he was not in jail after letting out a bunch of space pirates onto the station. Yeah, like I said, in jail, <laughs> even, even even Kira says, you know, famous line that just to, to dip back. Kira says, no matter what happens, you're out of here. And at the end of it, because he gets brave and helps break it up, he's like, no, it's, we're good. Yeah, it's we're, fine. Good. we're good. It's fine. <laughs> we can't we can't reach out of the show. You got a contract. Um, I, you know, to me, this was this was. Kind Kind of an alien of the week throwaway episode. You know, you have this this species uh, from a planet where where they they you know don't have much gravity, so they basically fly around all over the place. And um, that part of it was kind of a throwaway. But the other part, it had to you know do kind of with individuals of disabilities, which mm-hmm. I think continued to be a burgeoning issue, certainly in the early 1990s. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? So that part of it. Absolutely, you know. I thought, and again, I don't have a lot of experience with that myself. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's a very real, you know, part of people's lives, millions of people around the world. So um, th- that is something I think Star Trek does an incredibly great job of touching even social issues that are, you know, that are some just in your everyday life. But then again, you know, the kind of the discri- she was not discriminated against by anyone in Starfleet, because Starfleet is a warm, inviting place. But, you know, she had a real chip on her shoulder, which was kind of to be expected. But her real enemy uh, in this was the stupid Cardassian station that she couldn't get around because, you know, a raised lip at every door and she's fallen out of her chair and stuff. So, um, you know, while the Starfleet society is very open and, and um, you know, inviting and, you know, inclusive, it's just more proof that the the Cardassian station that they're on is, is very alien and exclusive um so it just really kind of drives drives home kind of one of the further points of the series just in kind of in a little way i think well and it's like it's one of those of like yes and no for the inclusivity because like she points out immediately like dr bashir was in her briefing right uh, meeting for for literally no reason other than the fact that like she had like a quote-unquote disability mm-hmm. and i would have liked to see it leaned into more of like there's literally nothing wrong with her except for the fact that the world was not built with her in mind. And because Mm -hmm. she had this one issue, the entire, like basically she had to change everything about her life to fit into this society versus that society making some minor accommodations. Because like, honestly, like yes, Starfleet was inclusive to a certain point where you can't tell me she's the only one who has mobility issues. Right. So the fact that they didn't immediately go, okay, you know what? We should be changing these, you know, lifts on these doors and we should be putting ramps up and we should be making it so that these act, that there is accessibility in all of these places, regardless of who's trying to walk in. It was just something that the rest of the crew didn't have to deal with. So until they got to that point, they were like, oh, shoot, this is an afterthought for us. Maybe we should try to change it. And then they only changed very limited areas right. that they thought she would need even though it ended up being where she was having to go into places because that's, and they were like, well, just, you should have just waited for, you know, Dax, or you should have just done this. And it's like, she shouldn't have to because a normal person or, you know, or or someone else who wasn't in her position wouldn't have had to. Well, and to extend the metaphor, it's kind of, and they really make it as, you know, the the hollow dock on Voyager. It's the same Mm -hmm. way. He starts off as just being in sick bay and then season three gets his, mobile emitter but in the time in between he goes back and forth to the holodeck and because he's the only medical officer on board he fights for his rights yeah. um, to be to be included in staff briefings and to be treated like a sentient being because being because he really is so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's kind of an extension of that metaphor the other plot line in this episode is that well she you know Bashir magically discovers I can give you 
normal legs or whatever. And she's like, I'm thinking about it because I'm in love with you. And that's that's very tired. And at the end, she decides decides that, you know what? Yeah, whatever. I just I don't really care to do that. I don't want to change my life for this dude. So and then she finishes her assignment and she's gone. So. And, and we, we, we do get the Klingon restaurant and the singing Klingon opera, so that that's pretty. And, you know, and them ordering, you know, Klingon food I thought was kind of fun. And let me have some, is that too much for two? <laughs> well, oh, and just yeah. another another time that Brashear underestimates her because he's like, oh, let me order for you. And that he just assumes she's never had Klingon food. Right. Oh. She ends up yelling at the dude in Klingon, and she right. has this huge argument with the with the food guy. Yeah, because she knew that he had better crack, and he was holding it back on them. And right. she's like, Here's, "We need I, fresher stuff." <laughs> I got it under the table, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Bashir's kind of a chauvinist pig, which is a lay motif that we see out of him in his pursuit with Dax, particularly in season one, because oh, yeah. he's like, ah, nah, 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 you know, and it's just like, come on, bro. Yeah, come on, yeah. come Worf, on. Worf was the best choice there. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> well, that that takes us through uh, the first six episodes of DS Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. the season. Does get meteor as it goes on, um, so I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, good stuff. <laughs> All righty, Okay, Katie. Take us on out of here. Yes, of course. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit the Grand Petoskey and Regional Thirteen on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.